Hey y'all, welcome to Holy Coitus, a community of hosts, H-E-A-U-X. We are humans who engage in consensual coitus, are kind to ourselves and partners, creative, fully embodied, unapologetic, powerful, and free. My mission is to encourage everybody and everyone to claim or reclaim their sexual agency and voice, regardless of what parts you were born with or changed, where you live, what you did in the past, what you learned in the past, what you plan to do in the future whether you've had zero sex partners or countless a week your host story is welcome here you are welcome here hey hey y'all welcome to my podcast holy coitus i'm so glad you found me in my little corner of the world today's guest is fabulous and you are going to love this conversation she's like a purity culture og on instagram and i'm so grateful that she'll be sharing a bit of her story um her soapboxes and one of my favorite new topics which is pelvic floor health and um healing because so many of us carry a lot of the trauma and a lot of our mismessaging in our bodies in and it physically affects um how we're able to function as human beings sexually and mentally and psychologically blah blah so um you can find her work at deconstructing purity culture um and then you can also find my work at holy coitus and that is h-e-a-u-x-l-y-c-o-i-t-u-s without further ado this is my conversation with sarah y'all enjoy hello everyone and welcome to my podcast my name is Janea. And I have a super great guest today. Welcome. Can you share with people your name and also your preferred pronouns, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah, and my pronouns are she, her. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm super excited to, like, I, I always feel so honored when people share their stories and their opinions and soapboxes. So um, the first question oh, that I like to, like, ask people is... Um, who or what taught you about sex in your body, like those initial lessons um, and thoughts, and also like what were those things that they taught you? Yes. Oof. Yeah. So <laughs> I grew up in like 90s and early 2000s, like white mm-hmm. American evangelical culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, and I went to a very small Christian school until uh, high school. So like preschool to eighth grade, I was at this really tiny little Christian school. And so really the first people to ever teach me anything about my body were those teachers at this tiny little school. So we Mm -hmm. had a quote unquote health class that was supposed Mm -hmm. to act as sex ed, but it was not sex ed, like even a little bit, it was like, wear deodorant and (laughs) and like here's like the difference between girls and boys and Mm. I think it wasn't until I think like eighth grade that we got any kind of actual like sex ed um and until then my instead of giving me any kind of like talk I think my parents just thought it was like happening at school and it wasn't and so my mom gave me a book <laughs> that I, I had to read mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was and it basically was just like here's the anatomy here's all the mechanics and that like that's it and I I was one of those super lucky kids that got their period super early and so mm-hmm. I was like had no idea what was happening like what was happening to my body and why I like 
I had a period and none of my friends did. And I went, cause I went through a growth spurt super early. And so it was a weird time at that school. And it wasn't until I like got into high school, like I went to a big public high school that I like had actual sex ed mm. and was like, Oh, there's more sex than just like, like heterosexual, like intercourse. There's other stuff. And, mm. and bad things can happen too. Sometimes like you can get STIs and all these other things. And like, here's what they actually are. And here's how pregnancy happens. And it was a whole other like world <laughs> that was opened <laughs> and the internet that helped too. <laughs> I mean, the internet, I, I have definitely, even, yeah. even now, like I, I tend to Google things yeah. and be like, so, uh, I don't know what yeah. this word means. <laughs> yeah, all I got, the time, constantly. Yeah, I got this text message. I was like, ah, let me Google this before because I don't know yeah. what his request is. And be like, oh, no, we're not doing that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, in your, um, when you were surrounded by all these people, like what were they doing? And also like what were you doing? So, or not doing? Like were you the odd one out or were you surrounded by people who were also like in this, um, like what was happening so because it was such a like it was a school that was pretty small like there was only 50 people in every grade mm. and then we also went to church there and it was a really like it wasn't as much of a mega church as it is now it used to be a, like a lot smaller which I guess is how mega churches happen but yeah. it like when we went there, it was like, you pretty much, you went to the school and then you also were there on Sundays for church. Mm. So you're with the same people like six days a week, basically. Mm. And, and I played a lot of sports and I played like on the school teams, but also like with, um, on these like, you know, rec teams, but with a lot of people that I was in school with. Mm. So it was this weird, like insular little, community (laughs) where like we all didn't really have a ton of education and but like the one thing that I like first kind of realized something was different was like I got my period when I was 11 and or yeah I was either 10 or 11 it was but it was Thanksgiving day so that was it's not traumatic at all yeah yeah not yeah not not traumatic even a little bit um and and I knew nothing like I didn't know anything and and I had a growth spurt super early like I was taller than everybody I had boobs all of a sudden I had like curves that none of my friends had and I was still like trying to play sports and had to you know like figure out like how to like wear a pad and play sports and all these things. Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was a whole other world, but there wasn't like a safe place to talk about it. Um, there wasn't really, even within kind of the school, like the, um, like situation that we were in with like the youth group and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, it was the same people over and over again. But even within that, there wasn't like a safe place to ask any questions. It was just kind of understood that like talking about sex and your body and all these things was bad. And so, or like it was private. And so you shouldn't talk about it. You should just like keep it to yourself. (laughs) And so I just like learned very early on, like not to ask questions Mm -hmm. of anything and just to like figure it out myself. So literally like when I was like 12 or 13 or something like still like in middle school and had the internet and realized that I could like Google stuff. I just Mm. started Googling things to be like, what does this mean? Like what, (laughs) how do tampons work? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like just to try to figure stuff out because there wasn't, because anytime I would try to ask people be like, Oh no, don't ask that. Don't like, don't say that out loud or don't like, 
So there was just a constant like discouragement of asking any kind of questions. And I'm an only child. So I didn't even have any siblings to like go off of and, or to like ask questions to. It was just like me and my friends and we all were very repressed (laughs) and didn't even know, like when you don't know that you, what there even is to ask questions about, you don't know what to ask until it's like happening to you basically. So Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a weird time until I went to high school and that was like, a culture shock in the weirdest way (laughs) to realize that I knew absolutely nothing and that I did not get a great education. (laughs) There was that too. (laughs) Yeah, that, that as well. That as well. Um, Can you speak to, before we get um, deeper into your story, like, can you talk a bit about the white American evangelical, like, what does that look like? What does it sound like? What, um, and then also like in the nineties, what was happening then? Um, yeah. So when I talk about purity culture, cause I run a little Instagram account called deconstructing purity culture. And when I talk about purity culture, I always like to make the distinction that it's like, I'm talking about like white American evangelical culture that was prominently in like the nineties and early two thousands. And there's a whole other like version of purity culture that exists now. Um, that is much more palatable unfortunately and much more like it looks prettier but it's still the same messages um but Mm. the purity culture that I kind of grew up in in the 90s and early 2000s was um unfortunately very federally funded (laughs) there was a lot of federal funding allocated for abstinence only education in all schools and obviously like I went to a Christian school so of course they were only going to do abstinence only to begin with but then I went to a big public school and it was the same thing. It was abstinence only. They, If they ever did mention anything about contraception, it was when you're married or um, they, like, mentioned that condoms existed. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. And then they talked a lot about STIs and about, like, pregnancy. And it was very, like, scare tactic-y. Like, you don't want this to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't actually a ton of actual education. Um So, and a lot of that was just because states got federal funding for it because of the, um, like an organization that started within the Southern Baptist Convention, um, kind of ended up being very influential in, uh, getting federal funding to, for Mm -hmm. abstinence only education, and then turned it into like a full blown industry where there was, um, they made a ton of money off of purity rings and purity conferences and like, in the 90s, so I grew up outside of D.C., and there was the huge uh, purity, like, I don't know what it like, demonstration or something where, like, thousands of teenagers, like, signed purity pledges and stuck them on the national lawn, yes. which was so stupid. <laughs> it was just, like, thousands of kids being like, I'm a virgin, <laughs> like, sticking, like... <laughs> a piece of paper on the national lawn and it it was just such a weird like I don't it it feels like a fever dream but it was federally funded like it was something that was like from the top of you know government basically there was Mm -hmm. money given to it that thankfully ran out in 2008 or 9 it might have been a couple years after that I can't remember but it was like during the Obama administration that federal funding ran out and so and Obama administration was like nope we're not we're not (laughs) not refunding that thank god Mm -hmm. and so ever since then it's been this weird battle in like just the American like political system to try to figure out what to do with 
sex ed and to like Mm -hmm. demonize like comprehensive sex ed and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. it, because of all of that, churches really latched onto it and it turned because there was like a whole industry around it. There was like curriculum specifically for like, Mm -hmm. here's how to teach abstinence only like to your youth group. And here's how to have Mm -hmm. like a purity ceremony and a purity uh, ball and all this stuff. So we had, when I was in eighth grade, we had purity classes that we had to go to Mm -hmm. that were, um, it was like once a week for like a month or something. I can't remember. And all of the classes, basically it was like within the youth group, it was, they divided us up by like boys and girls. And I don't, I, I know that the boys were basically just told like, don't masturbate. That was it. Yeah. And then they like play kickball and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the girls, we like, we watched a bunch of like skits and videos and mm-hmm. all this stuff about like the horrors of having sex. And then at the very end of it, like at the end of this month or whatever, your there was a ceremony where like your parents presented you with your purity ring, mm-hmm. and then they wrote you a really weird letter about how <laughs> proud they were of you for not having sex. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and there was like a speaker, and it was a whole thing. Like, and so here's the funny thing. I, I remember this. So I still talk to a few people from home. We all remember them giving us these arrows at this purity ceremony, Mm. none of us can remember what they were for, but we all kept them for years. Like I had mine until I moved out of my parents' house at 18 and I still have no clue what it was for. (laughs) And I'm sure it's, and all, all these people that I've talked to that I grew up with, I'm always like, when they find my Instagram, I'm like, okay, great. So glad to hear from you. Do you remember (laughs) why they gave us that arrow? Because I don't. And they're all like, no, I'm like, we all kept them though. I don't know. why. (laughs) You know, what i think I, we need to like do some googling or something because somewhere somebody I, knows what these I've arrows tried, are for you've I've, tried I need extra it people googling it because yeah. i have no clue i don't know if it was like our best guess because i've talked to multiple people about this our best guess is that it was some weird like almost like you're being hunted basically by men mm. and so like protect yourself like oh, your yeah. prey which is also not a great message to give yeah, young girls so, but yeah, none of us can remember what that was for, but I do remember that specifically from that ceremony, but <laughs> <laughs> that is and like, comedy. yeah, the ceremonies also like they vary, like ours was very tame mm-hmm. and I've talked to a lot of people and also seen some documentaries of like purity balls where it's like a whole thing. It's like a father daughter thing and it's only for the girls and like the, they do a whole dance and you wear a white dress and it's this like whole huge mm-hmm. production, but ours was pretty tame compared to that but I know that there's like a huge spectrum of Mm. (laughs) of purity education I guess yeah mine was um like you know I went to a a super cool hip uh (laughs) not southern baptist church with no baptist in the name type non-denominational but like non-denominational but you know secret southern baptist exactly (laughs) (laughs) and um our our time when I wrote the card I was four, 12 or 14 I forget and um you know all we had to do was stand up and then say that we yeah. were going to do it and then sit back down and I was like I guess that was a ceremony and then like the you know the youth pastor at the front was like okay very good sort of thing and that was it 
And thank also, you for your lifelong commitment. Thank you. <laughs> that was also the same day that I started my period was on the same like in no. the ceremony. Yeah, so I was like in oh. hell of pain and I was like, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> and I can barely stand up and like the people next to me were they were like, but you're like because I was a super virgin and um yeah. even until I was no longer a virgin, I was I was a single saint yeah. and like they were like oh my god, like, you were really slow standing up, like, is everything okay, like, are you sure you want to make this commitment, and I was like, I'm bleeding, like, I don't know what this is, (laughs) the devil is stabbing my uterus, (laughs) yes, this is not okay, and I was like, I I just can't, I can't handle this, but I am committing until marriage, I am, I promise, I just, and I tried to, like, make it so that I was, like, reverently, like, standing, and... (laughs) It just wasn't. You cool. tried so hard. I really tried. I really tried. <laughs> but yes. Oh my gosh. Um, That's I'm, funny. I'm curious. Like, did you go to the thing with the cards in the Capitol? Like, did you no, go? Or did you know I, people? I think I was a little bit too young. Okay. I knew people that did that were older, like that oh. were like brothers and sisters of like my friends. Yeah. But I want to say it happened in like it was either like '99 or 2000, mm. and I was in like sixth or seventh grade. So it was like, I was like a little bit too young cause we hadn't quite like started the like purity ceremony or whatever, but there were people from my church mm. that were like older that like in the youth group, especially that went cause we were, our church was pretty close to like DC, like downtown mm. DC. So, um, there were definitely a lot of people that went and yeah, it was, sure. it was a weird experience to, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it was very like, it was this weird like reverence of like, Oh, you went and did this public thing. Like you mm. told the world you're going to be a virgin. Like yeah. it's just such a weird to, to be told your whole life that you have to keep this like super private. You never should talk about your body and anything happening and then be like, but tell the world you're not going to have sex. Like it's just such a like weird combination of things to try to yeah. figure out in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is really strange. I was very vocal yeah. about my virgin status until my late, late, late twenties when I started to become a, not embarrassed, but like exhausted of like yeah. virginity. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this no more. Like, I'm really sad. But I was hashtag single saint on the internet for quite a while. Oh, my and, gosh. And then I start, when, I, when I started to make plans for my hoe face, I, start, I stopped talking about it. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to do yeah. this thing over here. We're just going to slowly ease out. Yeah. <laughs> and you can uh, use context clues and figure, you, can, you can decide yeah. what you want to think. Yes. But it's kind of, it's bizarre because, like, on my personal like social media pages I don't talk about these things at all and there are some yeah. people who are like wow you're still married and you're not dating anyone I was like ah uh-uh. and then <laughs> and then I have this whole other side over here where I'm talking about all these yeah. like random silly boys and things and I'm like uh, yeah yes. it's fun that is yes. my life it's great it's weird to have like I have I have a lot of friends who have combined like their personal Instagram with their like either business or whatever else they like talk about on the internet. And I'm like, no, I just, I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> I have my, my purity culture Instagram where that's like dedicated to like, this is what I talk about. And then my personal one is like just people I'd like know in real life or like, just like yeah. things I want to, I don't know, things that aren't purity culture related because Absolutely. it's just too much to try to it's a lot. explain to people too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, like, 
were you um what were your initial thoughts and feelings about the purity culture message like were you excited about it or like were you dreading it or were you like was this penance for you what was a good question I don't I don't know that I had a ton of feelings about it until I got to high school because it was just all I knew like Mm -hmm. that was it and it was like there was this especially in really like conservative evangelical circles, everything is very black and white Mm -hmm. and there is no gray area and no like room for nuance. And so it was very like sex before marriage is bad and sex after marriage is good. And so that was like all I could conceptualize. And Mm -hmm. until I like went to high school and then had, you know, like was confused and trying to figure out like what was going on. And I, I, had I was being like sexually abused for a while and had no idea what was happening to me because I didn't get any education on it and so I just didn't like it was this weird like I remember my senior year of high school for the first time thinking like why am I waiting until marriage like why is this a thing that I'm doing am I just doing it because my church told me to and it makes me a good girl and I'm like doing the things I'm supposed to do like if I love somebody, then isn't that okay? Like, it, it was just this, like, first time of really questioning, like, everything that I had been told was just, like, this is truth and anything that deviates from it is wrong and bad and, like, the devil. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was, like, so confused by that that I would even, like, have those thoughts that, mm-hmm. that this might not be, like, completely black and white. And mm-hmm. then I met my now husband when I was in college and we both like he didn't grow up in as strict a purity culture as I did but we both had to like wrestle with this weird like guilt of like are we going too far are we doing something we're not supposed to be doing why do we care about that like Mm -hmm. it was just this like constant cycle of of trying to figure out like what was too far and then like who really cares like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we it was I feel very lucky that it was one of those, like, when you know, you know, like, we were like, okay, we're going to get married. This like, you're my best friend. This is it. But we were like, so why did, why should we feel like ashamed about like going farther than we should or what, like quote unquote should. Um, but it was, it was just this constant like conflict in my head of Mm -hmm. knowing like what I was told, but also knowing that I wasn't really allowed to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out, like, how to even ask questions in a safe way that didn't, like, also tear down everything else. And, it, I mean, it wasn't until, like, a few years ago that I was like, okay, maybe I can tear down everything else. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> like, maybe I can, like, think through all the things and yeah. figure out why this was not, like, very helpful <laughs> yeah, sure. just in general. Um, but, yeah, it, and it was, like, it also didn't help that it – because that school that I went to, we also went to that church, like, those were the only – that was my only community for a really long time, like Mm -hmm. until high school. And so all of that, all the messages that I was getting from purity culture there were also just being reinforced over and over again by everyone around me. So Mm -hmm. even if all of us were thinking the same thing and we're having questions, like you couldn't say anything. So we were all just kind of living in this weird spot of being like, okay, this is what we're told. I guess it's right. So Mm -hmm. let's just go with it (laughs) (laughs) until something else happens, I guess. Yeah. Which is um, not great. It's really not. Um, I'm not sure what direction to go because, like, they like it's a fork in the road in my mind. But yeah. <laughs> so my first idea was, um, 
for me, the purity culture thing, uh, there, there were three things in my life that helped me to kind of like burn down my spiritual mm-hmm. understandings and like rebuild. Um, yeah. and so one was purity culture. One was, uh, white evangelicals love of Trump and all the malarkey yeah. of, of re- yeah. refusal to even give, like yeah. to even try. And then also, yeah. um, with grief and death, like in mm-hmm. the lack of concern, like mixed yeah. messaging after someone in my life died. And so, um, I'm curious if for you, purity culture, was that like a thing for you to also, um, like deconstruct kind of deconstruct or to, to like question, start to things, question and... things? Yeah. It was, it was a combination of purity culture and the 2016 election (laughs) like that it that was I think purity culture started it and 2016 Mm -hmm. like really set me over the edge of like okay now I have to start asking questions Mm -hmm. and figuring out why like why this is the way that it is but Mm um like I said like in high school like the end of high school and kind of throughout college I was in this weird spot of being like I was starting to ask questions, but didn't really know like who to ask questions to. And I also went to, I ended up going to a really small, um, like Christian college and which was great for what it was. Like I needed to go to a small school and mm. <laughs> found out later in life that I have ADHD. And now it makes a lot of sense mm. why I could not go to a big school, yeah. <laughs> but I like needed to go to a really small school. And it was like a bonus that it was eight hours away from home. Mm-hmm. And they gave me a lot of money. And so it was, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't Liberty. So you didn't have to (laughs) sign a, a, uh, um, statement of faith to attend Liberty, Liberty way or Liberty pledge or something like the Liberty way. Yes. So I grew up in Virginia and so Liberty, like a lot of people I know went to Liberty and it was, it, I will say Liberty changed a lot from the older Falwell to the younger Falwell and then went off the rails with the younger one. But they like, So we didn't have like the Liberty way because we, my school is also a D one school. And so they really wanted to recruit athletes. Oh, (laughs) So you did not have to sign any kind of statement of faith. You just had to, there was like kind of like a loose, like honor code and that kind of thing, but it was not super Mm -hmm. strict. Um, which was nice. It was like much better than some of the other Christian school experiences that I've like heard about, but either way, like I was still getting some messages there, but like, I remember one of my best friends in college, when we were seniors in college, they, you had to go to a certain number of chapels a year, basically mm. it was called convocation. And one of the first ones, our senior like year, they decided to do a fashion show mm. <laughs> where the, to show like what was appropriate to wear on campus and what wasn't, which they'd never done anything like this before. I live in South Carolina. The school was in South Carolina. It's so hot here. Like, yeah nine months out of the year. So we'd wear shorts and tank tops and whatever, and Mm -hmm. had never been told not to, had never been told there was like a strict dress code. And then this one year they decided to do a fashion show. Mm -hmm. So of course they thought it'd be so funny to like dress up the boys in like stereotypical, like girl clothing. And that was like inappropriate and do this whole stupid fashion show where it was like supposed to be just like over the top exaggerated which one i think it's hilarious that they were doing drag and had no idea oh. and two because <laughs> they would hate that 
<laughs> and like yeah. my, my, one of my best friends from college and I still talk about like, we didn't realize at the time that we were little feminists, but like mm. our little feminist hearts were in there and we like stood and like walked out. We we're like, no, this is not okay. And we like, yeah. couldn't figure out why it wasn't okay, yeah. but we just knew like something wasn't right about that. And there was a whole group of us that walked out. Like we just couldn't do it anymore. But it was, we like couldn't figure out like what was wrong about it and it couldn't figure out like why it didn't feel okay. But we we're like, something's not right. <laughs> this doesn't feel good as like women <laughs> to be like mocked basically. And we're like, we're still going to wear what we want. No one's going to say anything, right. whatever. Right. So after that, I moved back to Virginia to go to physical therapy school and it like the, I graduated in 2016. And so up until then, like PT school is so hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so intense for Mm -hmm. three years that you just like can't think about anything else Mm -hmm. and I had started to slowly talk to my friends because I got married in PT school so I'd slowly started to talk to my friends about like this is weird that I'm all of a sudden like sex was bad and now it's supposed to be good and like overnight Mm -hmm. and my husband and I were it's so long and complicated but we were long distance for a really long time Mm -hmm. and so even then it was like this weird, like when we would see each other, like, are we expected to have sex now? I don't really know. And, and then when I graduated PT school, it was like May, 2016. And so the, Mm. all like the election was really ramping up (laughs) and starting to hear just like, I was like able, I had the brain space to finally pay attention to Mm. what was going on, like in the world outside of PT and starting to hear like things that were being said just about women in general, like things Mm -hmm. Trump was saying about women, things like people that supported him were saying about women. And I was like, Oh, as a woman, I can't, I can't vote for this guy. Like this is not okay. And then starting to see like churches, like wholeheartedly embrace him Mm. knowing that like, this is really hypocritical. There's a lot of horrible things he says, like he's incredibly racist, incredibly misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Like how can churches support him just because he said, he's a Christian now or something. I don't know. Um, and that kind of like solidified the, like all these conversations were kind of happening like at once of realizing like, okay, maybe everything that I grew up with is not as black and white as Mm -hmm. I thought it was. And maybe I can start asking questions and like Mm -hmm. find safe people to ask questions to. And I mean, I went through a lot of unsafe people, and ask those questions and realize that they were unsafe people. But I did find some like safe people through that and figure out like how to even start these conversations or how to even start like talking about it in a way that was like helpful, but also like allowed space to grieve and allowed space to like lament and like feel hard feelings and not just toxic positivity, like spiritually bypass all of it. Um, it just took a little while, but it, it took like a combination of things. Sorry, that was a really long answer, but <laughs> yeah. can you, um, what, what do you mean by safe people and unsafe people? Like, can you give some examples on like, what is like, what were they doing that made you yeah. decide like, yeah, this is okay. Or uh-uh, I can't talk to you about this. Um, I think so when I would talk to people that I kind of figured out were not safe people, it was either they, completely like spiritually bypassed around it which when I say that I just mean like they would say oh God had a plan for that or Mm. like you shouldn't worry about that because God has a plan for it or Mm. you should just pray about it and Mm. like without any space to like actually feel hard feelings and I think Mm. that's something that especially the conservative like evangelical church really does not do well is allow space for just like feeling hard things even though like 
there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations that's about lament, but yeah. that's fine. We're just going to mm-hmm. skip right over that one. And, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And, like, there's a ton of, like, examples. Like, if they want to get real, like, biblical, there's so many examples in the Bible of people, like, holding space for hard emotions and saying, like, this is hard and I'm just going to let it be hard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, like, when I found people that wouldn't let a hard thing just be a hard thing or, like would dismiss even just the idea of having questions or having doubts or say that they were just going to pray for me and like move on. Like that was Mm. kind of how I knew that they weren't safe. Um, and the people in my life that I found that were very safe were the people that said either like, Oh, me too. I've had these same questions. Like, let's talk about it. Um, or even just the people that said like, I don't know how to like, how to relate to this because I didn't grow up with it, but like, let's talk through it. And Mm let you just have a space to like talk it out basically. Yeah. Um, which was really helpful because I don't, I don't think a lot of really conservative Christians want to <laughs> want to feel the hard feelings just in general. They really don't. Part of my grieving process with the loss of my family member was with um, the, like you can't be sad and be Christian. Like it's so bizarre. To yeah. Me. You cannot. And um, they would just, you know, there's the, just worship and and then like the sadness will go away i was like uh-uh. i i think that mm-hmm. being sad is a good thing like somebody's dead yeah. like you you have to like yeah yeah it was it was really bizarre to me um so i i uh i live in asia which is very depending on who you ask it's non-religious <laughs> and because uh the communist government is is it's a religion yeah. but um <laughs> And being over here and watching hard feelings, it's bizarre because, mm. one, you're not supposed to have hard feelings because you're yeah. a robot. But then also, uh, since it is non-Judeo-Christian, like, their view of, of death and grief, whether it is with an actual person dying or not, um, yeah. it's, like, it's a part of life. It's not something to be avoided and yeah yeah and then also like that's very different it it extends like their view of bodies extends uh through death and also into like reproduction and sexuality because like (laughs) you know there is purity culture over here as well like i've talked with tons of chinese women and they're they're like yes i must have a baby i must have sex in order to make the president happy and i was like yeah "Uh, uh, (laughs) nope I don't think you have to. They're like, we yes. Would, he, yeah. yeah. One person, he was like, they were like, he asked me to have a baby, so I, I'm pregnant now. And I was like, he who? The president. He, he, All right. Personally, he asked you? <laughs> he sent you a text message. Like, I don't know what this yeah. means. Like, like, I did this for my government. Okay. Sounds, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's but culture. it's like, I mean, that's what I hear from so many people about the church, too, is... It's the same. Like, God told me to have a baby, or God told me that this is what we're, yeah. like, I'm supposed to get married in order to have babies to raise up the next generation. I mean, like, mm-hmm. the Christian nationalist movement is terrifying, first of all, right. but also the fact that, like, now they're just calling it what it is, yeah. and saying, like, we're supposed to have a whole army of, like, tiny Christians that are gonna take over the government. Like, exactly. that's not great. You're not supposed to say that out loud. And they say it in microphones, and it's on the internet. Like, they're so proud it's like this is not okay what is happening yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure yeah well (laughs) and growing up like outside of dc like christian nationalism was 
the Christianity that I knew, like, Mm. because we were like right next to DC and there was, I mean, everybody at the church was somehow connected to like the government or the military or like something that is just what it is up there. Everybody's a government contractor. And so like, there were so many times where like I, until I moved and like away from it, I could finally like see (laughs) see it for what it was, but I was like, Oh God's not an American Republican. Like, but being told your whole life that God is an American Republican and God said these things Mm -hmm. like, like that if until you like are able to question it or are faced with something different like you just don't know that there even is another option like mm-hmm. that maybe god wasn't american first of all <laughs> yeah it's true especially jesus he was not american he or white or white or <laughs> political none, nothing nothing no, yeah. no part no part yeah. of this. Mm. none of those things <laughs> oh my god can you talk a bit yeah. about the diet part and like body image I don't know what direction you want to go in particular but um yeah so it's weird because I didn't realize until probably like a few years ago how connected like diet culture and purity culture were but um growing up in purity culture there's also this aspect of like modesty that gets thrown in of you don't want to tempt your brothers in Christ and you don't want to show off too much and all this. And like this whole, like the whole like men are visual creatures thing, which not scientifically true. Mm-hmm. And so when that gets thrown in there, then there becomes like an obsession with your body. And like, I remember in like eighth grade, we had this, like, it was like a big, like graduation ceremony for this tiny school. And so you had to get your dress that you're going to wear approved by the, teachers first so you had to stand in a room full of teachers and like wear a dress and basically have them like either critique it or say that it was appropriate or not appropriate and so it's just like this constant focus on your body and like what it's doing and how you're possibly tempting people and when like you grow up like I did where I hit puberty super early. And so all of a sudden I had boobs Mm. (laughs) and I was having to figure out like how to wear a bra and how to cover myself up and all this stuff. And like, it just wasn't always possible to be as modest as like my friends were and still like wear the same things that they were. And so like, it just gave me this like hatred of my body that like it was Mm. different than other people's and it like, it was somehow working against me to like tempt people and Mm. um you just grow up believing that your body is shameful like just in general and when there's a con I mean and you get it reinforced by there being like a constant focus on your body especially as someone who grew up like as a young woman and was like socialized as female like you grow up being told that your body is supposed to be shameful and you're supposed to cover it up until you have a husband and Mm. even then you still shouldn't be tempting other men (laughs) other than your husband. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, like, there's never any bodily autonomy taught to begin with, but in general, it just teaches you that like the control of your body and how it's viewed, like lies within other people. It's not within yourself. Like you're always just supposed to be like dressing and looking for other people. So there's, there's just a constant judgment that then leads to this weird focus of like almost diet culture in the church because you end up with things like, I don't know if you ever heard of the Daniel fast. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you end up with stuff like the Daniel fast, which is just like a, 
easy entrance into an eating disorder or like just disordered eating in general. And, but like it has Bible verses with it. And so it's more acceptable because, yeah, because you're being told that like, oh, this is what Daniel did. So this is what you should do too. And there's, you know, whole churches that were built, the remnant fellowship in Nashville, um, like they were built around, uh, like losing weight or like being like trying to be in the best. Have you never heard of this? Oh my God. What in the world? No. Okay. What is this? Do you have, do you have HBO? HBO I don't. Max? I'm going to go find it though. Okay. Yes. It's called the way down. Um, it's a, there, it's like a docu-series. Um, and it talks about the remnant fellowship in Nashville. It was led by this woman named, uh, Oh, was it Laura? Sham- or no, Gwen Shamblin. That's her name. Gwen Shamblin. So she and her husband actually died like last year or the year before, mm. um, in a plane crash weirdly, but they, yeah. they started, she started this church, um, that was basically built around her book called the way down, which was yeah. like how to like, get rid of your cravings and focus on Jesus instead. Mm. And so it was like the whole point of it was like, we're losing weight because we're, we're replacing our cravings with Jesus. And so it was like this huge focus on weight loss. And I mean, everybody there had an eating disorder and, um, the docuseries is fascinating. Oh, I'm (laughs) Um, going to find this one. This is so so good. Um, (laughs) but like, so there's like whole churches like built around it, but then there's like subtler versions of it too that pop up of people doing this like for Jesus or like I'm just taking care of the temple that God gave me or whatever. Like you still end up with this like intense focus on your body and it not being good and it like not being good like how it is. And I mean, there's never, I'm a physical therapist, so obviously there's never any focus on like people with disabilities or people living with chronic illness or Mm. anything like that. Like they're still kind of lumped into this focus on your body, like not being good and you need to change it some in some way. And then like the ideal body type just ends up being something that's very unrealistic, but also like ends up just being like thin white blonde Christian woman. Yeah. And that's like what everybody's supposed to live up to regardless of anything else. Because if you're gaining weight, obviously you're, um, gluttonous or you're Mm. living in pride or like you're somehow living in sin or you're overeating and that's bad and that's the devil. Mm. And so you have to, you have to be able to control those things. Like it just leads to so, so much body hatred, but then it can kind of morph into like disordered eating Mm -hmm. and like full blown, like eating disorders. Like I'm in recovery from eating disorder and it took until like two years ago to realize Mm. that Uh, like a lot of the stuff that I was doing, even though it wasn't um, like I never had considered it really much of an eating disorder or disordered eating like before. And it took like Mm. a counselor being like, no, (laughs) like that's not okay. Like (laughs) like, what you're hearing about the way that you're like, just because you put a Christian spin on it doesn't mean it's not still an eating disorder. (laughs) So I'm so proud of you that you're in recovery. That's beautiful. Yes. I, you know, I was, um, I don't know what button I pushed on Facebook, um, but for some reason I'm getting now, um, pictures of Morocco, which is absolutely beautiful. And I was like, yay, something lovely. And also Christian diet coaches. And I was like, 
Those are two very different things. What in the world? And like, there's this one, and I can't even push on it, but it's like this the little white blonde Christian woman, and she's um, like pushing French fries into the trash can, and like she's talking. And there's a big red X. It's wild, and I was, and I can't even push it because like I'll be triggered. But like, what in the world? And then um, I've also noticed like when I was in white evangelical spaces, like. Weight Watchers would meet in the church and Zumba what was the other one that was really big back in the day Zumba's still big um Zumba um it's purple uh I I don't remember now um oh shoot I know what you're talking Jenny Craig that's one of them that was one of them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I can't remember um they I I've, I've been to some churches and like the women would come up to meet you and if you were chub chub like they would come come meet and we have a a weight loss class bible study and the people would like introduce themselves with their how many pounds they weigh like hi my name is Brenda I'm 163 pounds this week I lost two pounds I was like wait a minute and just what what is happening um yeah problematic it's it's such a weird thing because it does it becomes like normalized too mm-hmm. in those circles and to it's so like sickening that they then just like slap like a Jesus sticker on it and mm-hmm. say like this is for God so it's okay like it's acceptable to have like to talk about our bodies this way talk about other people's bodies to like foster eating disorders because we're saying that we're doing it for jesus somehow or we're doing it to like take care of our temple or whatever and really like there's so many women that i don't think would ever unfortunately even see it as body shaming they just see it as like being trapped in this like cycle of weight loss and weight gain and all and now like Mm -hmm. knowing what i know about nutrition and our bodies and stuff it's like there's so much more to like weight and just the size and shape of your body in general than what you eat or how much you exercise like to begin with there's so much more that that you know goes into it (laughs) and so to simplify it down to you just need to be more disciplined and like it ends up they they end up like taking that and then also say like you also need to be more disciplined in like your prayer life and your Mm. walk with god and if you're not spending time in the word every day then clearly you're going to be more tempted by bad foods or whatever Mm. like it's just it's such a weird toxic like cycle that like continues but they're never gonna call it diet culture because it's it's like the like new purity culture like they're never gonna say that Mm -hmm. it's actually purity culture diet culture they're just gonna say like this is just us like taking care of the temples that god gave us and (laughs) it just you just can't you can't like put christianese words over it and make it okay (laughs) it's true it's true yeah and i've also noticed um the like the MLM people like the Shakeology oh. and then like they yes. and then how they I was watching a documentary with my neighbor and like they used the church or like a person who was selling the shakes would use Bible studies to recruit people in and yep. it's the same ideology and the same like yeah speaking tactics in order to and that's when it I, is. yeah and that's when I realized that maybe Christian like white evangelicalism is just marketing and yeah it's just a big mlm (laughs) it's a big mlm (laughs) it's funny too because there's so many like i don't know 
why, and I want to like do more research into why like MLMs recruit so many like young religious women, like whether it's like Mm. Christian or LDS or Mm. like, um, I I mean, those are kind of the main two, like evangelical Christian and like LDS are two Mm. of the main ones that people like young women get kind of sucked into. Mm. And I don't know if it's because they like, they aren't supposed to like work outside the home or whatever. And like, this is something they can do from home and still take care of the kids that they're supposed to have. Or if it's like a, um, something that they just end up getting sucked into for like the community or something. But it's weird how much those MLM companies, like I know of a couple people that are like big, like really high up in like beach body, the like Shakeology ones Mm -hmm. that their whole business is built around like, Oh, this is the Christian version of it. Like Mm -hmm. it's still beach body. Like if you sign up under them, you're still a beach body coach, but you're working for, this person who is a Christian and she's doing it in a better way. Like, Mm, mm -hmm. and like, no, you're still supposed to sell shakes and workouts and sell like a, a horrible self image and sell this idea that you're always supposed to be working on your body and getting it to this like ideal. But just saying that like you're doing it in a different way because you're a Christian doesn't really track (laughs) like that. It's, it feels very manipulative to, like, I don't know, slap that label on it, basically. Yeah, yeah. What was your journey of, um, uh, like, separating your body image from all the things so that you could find your own journey towards recovery? Like, since this, like, since all of this was in your head, like, how did you get out of it? Um, such a good question. I think a... Honestly, a good portion of it was going to physical therapy school mm. because you have to get uh, very comfortable and familiar with bodies very quickly. Mm. <laughs> and you have to learn how to like destigmatize bodies very quickly because all of a sudden you're having to like learn how to palpate things and you're having to learn like you're having to learn how to do all this stuff on your classmates first of all so you're standing there in like sports bras and shorts like just trying to figure out how to like destigmatize like bodies in general is not inherently sexual and and you have to learn how to be able to do that like for your patients and so I kind of started there and granted like I was definitely still very very sick when I was in PT school and it wasn't until like towards the end of PT school that I started to like realize that like oh uh (laughs) this is Mm. not great (laughs) like Mm. something's not uh like I don't know I I like started to realize like something wasn't right in terms of like how I was thinking about like food and my body and all Mm. that kind of stuff but it was I think like having to start to learn about like just anatomy in general helped a lot um and have and like working in healthcare but then honestly like what really like pushed me over the edge into actually deciding that like I was actually going to recover this time because I had gone through so many cycles of like I'm going to recover and then I get like pulled back into like oh no this is a better way to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> um it was honestly just COVID like I I work in healthcare but I work in home health so I'm by myself a lot and I was like then all of a sudden by myself I mean other than like with my husband but like we were by ourselves for you know a solid part of 2020 and Mm -hmm. so being 
not necessarily like cut off, but like having to isolate ourselves a lot more than a lot of other people that we knew because I was going into very vulnerable patients homes and we were like very, very careful. Mm. Um, and like I, like before being able to get vaccinated, obviously, like I was also treating a ton of COVID patients. And Mm. so having to like isolate ourselves weirdly helped because I wasn't, um, faced with having to, or like, I wasn't faced with like comparing myself to people around me at like church or at just other like public places anymore because I just Mm. wasn't around people, (laughs) Mm. which sounds really weird, but it was like, I think like removing myself from that situation and being able to see that like, okay, I can like work on this, like work on like my body image and all this kind of stuff without also feeling the need to like talk about it publicly at Mm. church or compare myself every single week to people at church or to like friends from church and stuff like Mm. that really helps just to have like a complete cutoff. Um, for like a, a good long while. Um, and so that kind of, and like, I mean, it was just my husband and I, like we were here by ourselves. And so I remember talking to my therapist being like, okay, maybe I want to try this recovery thing again and like mm-hmm. see what happens now that like, I really have no distractions. I really have like no other, mm-hmm. it's not like I could go out and go to a restaurant and feel triggered, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we just couldn't. So it was a weirdly helpful situation for that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, the church was like a really big trigger for me just in general to mm. like women at a lot of churches were really big trigger. And now like my husband and I go to a very progressive church, thankfully, that's like, they like openly talk about and welcome deconstruction and doubts and, they're very like completely open and affirming and it's a really, really great, like safe place. And Mm. because of that, like, I don't feel this pressure to look a certain way or like Mm. dress a certain way or compare myself to other women there. Like it's a very different environment than a lot of the churches that I have gone to in the past or like was raised in kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's so exciting. It makes me happy to know that there are still little, I don't want to use the word remnant because of the church in Nashville, but like little, little <laughs> <laughs> but little pods of people that are still yeah. like not being assholes and connected to Jesus in some kind of capacity. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah. The church that I was in nice. in Denver was similar. Like it was, yeah. it, I couldn't get rid of all churches because I was like, well, there's one. It's, yeah. There is one. Yeah. What's weirdly been so helpful for that is I do volunteer stuff for church clarity, which if you haven't heard of it, it's yes, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I do like uh, data entry and like scoring for them. So I like score mm-hmm. churches and it has been so helpful to see the churches that pop up all over the country and like internationally too, but especially just all over America that are mm. super openly like, progressive and affirming and say like openly on their website like this is what we believe and we believe that all people are loved and we accept you how you are and like and like we are an open place to ask questions and like it's just been very refreshing um and then I'll get the next church will be like we hate everybody (laughs) like (laughs) it's like one extreme or the other (laughs) but it is nice to know that like in 
like all over the country, there are little pockets of places that are like, okay, like we're allowed to ask questions here. This is like a safe place. We mm. like love people for who they are. Yeah. Um, it gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> oh, happiness. Yes. Yeah. Um, what about the pelvic health piece? Like, what do you, what do you, what's your soapbox with this one? Oh yeah. So, um, in general, we all, we all have pelvic floors. <laughs> um, every everybody has a pelvic floor um and so when there's been a ton of research which i'm so so thankful that people are finally doing research about this and there's Mm -hmm. been a ton of studies that have come out in the past like five years about the connection between being raised in a really sexually repressive religious environment and pelvic health dysfunction and they actually made the connection yes yes so there's i know it's the best so there's some that are like, um, qualitative kind of, they did a bunch of surveys of Mm. people who were receiving pelvic health, uh, physical therapy and kind of asked like what their background was. And then some of them have been like actual, like quantitative, like this is the connection between these two things. Um, so it's been really refreshing to see because it's something that not a lot of people talk about, but like when you are told your whole life that sex is bad and that nothing should go in there basically mm-hmm. like then all like your body doesn't know <laughs> the difference mm-hmm. and your body doesn't know that like the from you know if you grow up like me and you're being told no sex until you're married your body doesn't know that all of a sudden you're legally married and this is okay mm-hmm. and so our pelvic floor muscles sit at the bottom of our pelvic bones and they hold everything together and there's a bunch of layers of muscles, but they all work to contract and relax in conjunction with each other to like, um, stop you from peeing your pants. Like they, your bladder is a muscle and there's other muscles with like, Mm. that stop you from, uh, like your, all of your organs falling out (laughs) basically. Mm. And so when you have pelvic floor, pelvic floor dysfunction, um, a lot of times it manifests itself, especially in people with uteruses, it manifests itself in being, um, like those pelvic floor muscles contract involuntarily anytime something is trying to enter. So whether that's a tampon or a penis or any, like anytime something is trying to enter, they will contract automatically because the like kind of internal message that you've been told your whole life is that is bad. Don't let anything get in there. (laughs) And, um, and so the, thankfully, there's a ton of studies now that are showing the connection between that. Um, but it just means that pelvic health therapy is also now being prescribed a lot more, like, especially by OBGYNs, which is very helpful. Um, like even my OB asked, uh, like one of the first times I saw her Mm -hmm. when I moved here, she asked if I had, um, any pain with sex, if sex was uncomfortable, if like anything like that. And she was like, because we can always refer you to pelvic health. And I was like, Oh, Thank you. Like, that's very nice to know. Like, (laughs) and so a lot of like OBs are getting more educated on it too. And just in general, like a lot of, uh, clinicians, like kind of all across the medical spectrum are getting educated on it. But, Mm. um, it's been interesting to see like the connection between the, the two things, because it ends up, if you have long-term, um, like, pelvic health dysfunction Mm -hmm. um, or pelvic floor dysfunction, what that can end up resulting in is like, like later in life, 
uh, a lot of people will find that when they, even if they haven't had a baby, when they sneeze, they <coughs> pee their pants a little bit or when they cough or when they like anything like that. And it's just because tight muscles are weak muscles. So if mm-hmm. your muscles stay tight all the time and they just learn to stay that way all the time, they're very, very weak. And so they're not going to hold things in as well as they should. Um, yeah. And so pelvic health therapy <coughs> is, oh, bless you, um, is a lot of um, like, like at the beginning, a lot of times some therapists won't even do like internal exams or anything because a lot of people going to public health are like embarrassed by it yeah. and are not used to having a medical professional like all up in their business. Yeah. <laughs> and so they like it takes a little while, but usually like what it ends up being is a lot of learning how to relax and contract the muscles like at your own will yeah. <laughs> instead of having them do it. Uh, automatically when anything comes near you. Um, and it happens for men too. There's men pelvic health as well. And it's the same kind of concept. One of the studies that was recently done showed that many women that were suffering with painful sex for years before seeking help, um, the painful sex was due to, or before seeking help due to high levels of fear and shame. It was due to a lack of sex education and sex misinformation. And a lot of women we're told that painful sex was normal and that mm. uh, like they're especially primary care providers were just just told them either go to an OB or like oh that's normal sometimes it just hurts mm. which is like so sad it's so sad <laughs> that that's oh because there I mean there is like a stigma in purity culture especially around like women's pleasure just in general and so there's no education done on anything it's just like you just put this in here and that's it and then you have a baby yeah. like that literally <laughs> that's, that's it all. yeah and I was like uh nope I require just a little bit more than that mm. yeah <laughs> a yeah. smidgen yeah just a smidgen <laughs> yes <laughs> um so I'm curious about like um since like purity culture is your wheelhouse like what is happening now with purity culture I don't know if you want to talk about like um, your journey in particular at the micro level or like because I want to know both like do you want to start with you like what are you doing what's your journey from yeah. now forward and also <coughs> what is happening at the macro level because at the beginning of our conversation you said something about how there's like purity culture 2.0 or just repackaged yeah. in a different kind of way yeah so part of the reason that I just do my account in general it started as a way for me to just like process and writing stuff that I was learning Mm. and stuff that I was like working through because after, you know, actually being in recovery for an eating disorder, like it brings up a lot of stuff about your body and how you feel about your body and why you feel the way you do about your body. And so part of the reason of starting my account was just a way to like process these things of realizing that, Oh, a lot of it actually came from the messages that I was receiving at church about my body in general. And here's how that like, like snowballed (laughs) to all this other stuff. Um, and so part of the, the purpose of my account is just to like open the door for conversation and for people to like have a safe space to like talk about these things or even like realize some of the stuff for the first time. Like I'm very, very lucky that I am on the internet and like 99% of the messages I get are super like, encouraging and lovely and really nice there's like one percent of people that are like a little off their rockers um or just 
just want to be trolls. But the majority of the messages I get are really nice and are like, oh, I never like realized this or thank you for doing what you do because I didn't realize that this was where some of this, these messages like came from and stuff like that. So I, I'm like a firm believer in just the more that we like keep stuff in the dark, the more we grow shame around it. And so if we can bring some of the stuff like to the light and just talk about it, like you said, like with just kind of the whole purpose of your podcast, like if we bring some of the stuff to the light and create safe spaces to talk about them, then they hold less power and they aren't like you can kind of work through like the shame that they've caused and all this stuff. So I'm super thankful on one hand, I'm like super thankful for the internet because there's a ton of accounts like mine that we're all working through purity culture and white evangelicalism and Christian nationalism and like the connection of all these things and like working with, you know, our bodies and all this stuff. Like there's a ton of accounts like that, that are very like, Mm sex positive or even even people that are like easing their way into that world of trying to figure out their bodies there's a ton of accounts that are still very like christian focused i guess of just being like here's just sex education like stuff you you didn't get (laughs) Mm. um and but then I'm also mad at the internet (laughs) because (laughs) the other half of it is there is this like purity culture 2.0 that sounds much more palatable Mm. than what we got. So like I got (laughs) the messages about me being like a um, crushed up flower or a Mm -hmm. not sticky piece of tape or like object lessons that were just used to shame us into not having sex by saying like if you have sex you'll have less to give to your future spouse which is not true um but they were very fear-based and very like hellfire and brimstone kind of um don't do this or else and we're not Mm going to tell you anything about it because if we tell you anything about it you're going to do it and (laughs) so that that was mostly what we got Um, that tactic apparently did not work because there's a ton of us that are like coming out of that now. And so unfortunately there are a ton of like young white, (laughs) uh, Christian influencers that still preach purity culture, but they make it sound better Mm. and it's prettier and they like put pretty graphics to it. And so a lot of times it's, they'll just say, Um, this is just God's design for marriage. That's a really popular one. Or this is just biblical or like whatever it is, but they won't explicitly say um, like you're bad if, if you do this, but they will say like, aren't, don't you want to make sure that like you're giving everything that you can to your spouse and look how much better our marriage is because we both waited. And like, Mm. it's a lot of like young Christian couples that are 21 years old and I'm, I'm a hypocrite cause I got married at 22, but like <laughs> it's a, but also I wasn't like talking about sex on the internet after that. Um, mm. but it's a lot of like young Christian couples that are up until the point they got married, we're talking about waiting and how important it is and how men and women are so different and all this stuff. And then like the second they get married now, all of a sudden they're sex positive and talking mm. about sex, but still saying like, but you need to wait until marriage, but let mm. me tell you how great it is, but also wait until marriage. Yeah. So it's and a lot of times with those accounts there's like an underlying like homophobia and transphobia that kind of just goes along with it and then what I've started to notice is that along with that also becomes like this weird demonization of 
comprehensive sex ed. Mm-hmm. Um, other than what like conservative American media is talking about, which is always like uh, the extreme <laughs> of yeah. everything. Yeah, it's a lot of people end up talking about um, like some of the smaller, you know, like Christian purity culture 2.0 influencers end up talking about, oh, well, that's just not God's design or like, um, like set comprehensive sex ed should come from the parents or it should come from like, you need to be teaching it like from a biblical perspective or, um, if you teach, if you teach kids about, it's the same message that we got of like, if you teach kids about sex, they're just going to do it. Like, (laughs) okay. I mean, they're going to do it either way, but do you want more teen pregnancies, uh, with like, and then like, there's nobody to help them and you can keep these people in like this cycle of poverty basically or do you want people to be informed about their choices and possibly not end up with like an unwanted pregnancy or an sti or long-term consequences to something that you're not letting them choose to begin with so it's it's been really frustrating especially to see around like the reversal of the roe decision here in america um, the people deciding that, okay, well, we're not going to talk, like, we're not going to allow for comprehensive sex ed, but we're also not going to allow for abortion. <laughs> like yeah. there's, so then like, what do you want? Like you want people to learn nothing and then also have a baby when they get pregnant. Like Absolutely. it doesn't, it never quite tracks. Um, but yeah. it's, it sounds, they make it sound a lot better. I think because they learned that the hellfire and brimstone way of doing it yeah. was not working. And obviously like, there are still influencers that do that uh, very like fear-based, shame-based kind of stuff. And they unfortunately have really big audiences, but they're kind of more in the minority of, then there's all these other ones that are like, they won't tell you what they believe about it until people like specifically ask. Um, I saw one yesterday that was like, somebody asked her, I I don't follow any of these people, but I keep tabs on them by like searching them on my private Instagram or like my personal Instagram. And somebody asked her like, what are some references you have for somebody struggling with same sex attraction? And Mm. she gave all of these um, accounts that were like incredibly homophobic, but they're never going to say it on their page until you like read their books or, like listen to their podcast or whatever, but they're never going to say it like explicitly on their Instagram account. So it's just, it's, it's very harmful in like the sneakiest, most (laughs) manipulative way that bothers me. I don't know. get all worked up about it. (laughs) Uh, Yes. It's, it's problematic. Like I too am so grateful for the work of people that are, you know, sharing their stories and their grievances and all of this. And um, strategies on healing um, that they mm-hmm. they themselves have taken, and I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. I was like, the, you know, the things that I am passionate about. That you know, mm-hmm. um, there are people that believe the exact same, the exact opposite, and they are yeah. just as passionate. And I was like, that is terrifying to me. Yes, really terrifying. It's so scary. Yeah, because they. I mean, a lot of these people will. And I think because they think that they are empowered by God or backed up by God or something like that, like they really do believe that what they believe about other people is the only way (laughs) and it, but they, and they somehow say that it's loving and it's not at all, but, um, it's just, 
I don't know. It is scary to think about like, oh, they're, and I, <laughs> I see a lot of them. I treat a lot of them as my patients, oh, um, but to go do. into people's houses and see like, oh, this is like, you really, really strongly believe that my friends that are like not a hundred percent straight are going straight to hell and you feel the need to tell them that, or like yeah. you strongly believe that like anyone that doesn't look like you is just not working hard enough and you yeah. are going to tell them that and try to do something about it. Like yeah. it's just scary to think about how they get themselves in their own little echo chambers of Fox news. <laughs> usually. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Tucker Carlson. Oh, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Wow. Um, So as we close today, like, I want to make sure, like, um, you shared so many great things, but um, are there other things that, like, you feel like I really want to say this before we end, um, because I didn't, and I forgot, and I want to say it, or um, is there something that, like, you did say, and you're like, this is really important, so I want to say it again, or did you get everything off your chest, and you're like, you know what, I think I'm good for today. Um, I think the only thing I always try to say on like podcasts and stuff that I do is like to remind people that it's okay to change your mind Mm. and that like two things can be true at once. Like you can still, you know, hold on to some form of belief if you want to, and also question the things you grew up with and Mm. you are allowed to change your mind and hold space for the, the parts of like your story or your upbringing or your beliefs that you're questioning and like trying to work through and, and like your beliefs are your own. Like you, they don't have to look like anybody else's. They don't have to be exactly what anybody else, you know, says that you need to believe. And so that's, I always, I always end up having to tell people on my page that like, I don't care if you have sex. Like I really don't, if you have sex, great. That's awesome. If you and your partner want to wait for any reason, whether or not that's religious, like go for it. I'm not in your relationship. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm not a part of your relationship, but like trying to impose that on other people and say, just because this worked for me, it has to work for you is not helpful. So like, being able to like get to know yourself through therapy and, and all these other things is so helpful in being able to like realize that like, okay, my beliefs don't have to look like they said it was supposed to look like. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I am so pro therapy. And also the, I think that piece is I've paid my therapist a lot of money to, to help me understand that I can change my mind. Like, yeah, yes, it's okay. (laughs) And then she was like, and then she was like, you, and you know what? Like, if you change your mind again, it's okay, too. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Okay, take my pick. Yeah. Yes, you just bill me. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I think, like, a lot of us that grew up in really conservative evangelical spaces were taught that, like I said, like, everything is black and white. But you were also taught this weird version of, like, they took the verse, like, of being like lukewarm like out of context and so like oh you never want to be a lukewarm christian you always want to know exactly what you believe and why you believe it and you have to stick to these things and if you have any other dissenting opinion then you're wrong or you're a lukewarm christian and that was like the worst possible thing to do Mm -hmm. and so it like it removes any ability to have any like nuance in conversation and have any kind of like possibility for like questions like questions are allowed to be left unanswered like they're mm. I can't remember who said it now and it's really gonna bother me but someone on Instagram yep. <laughs> said like 
I think it was Kevin Nye. Actually, it was Kevin Nye. He said, like, Jesus asked, I can't even remember, and, like, the disciples asked, like, hundreds of questions, and Jesus answered, like, ten, like, in the Bible. And so, like, not all of our questions have to be answered. Like, you're allowed to, we're allowed to live in, like, some kind of mystery and say that, like, not everything has to be completely understood, and it's okay if it's, it changes throughout your life. Like, that's healthy. (laughs) If we just, if I believe the same things I did when I was 16, like, I would be a very unhealthy person. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, how can people find you, support you, um, watch your journey? Where are you located on the internet? Yes. Um, mainly on Instagram, it's deconstructing purity culture. Um, that's pretty much the main place. I like, I'm on Twitter a little bit, but on like, not really on my, uh, purity culture account really. So it's mainly, mainly Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram is so great. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and expertise. This has been lovely. Same. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I learned so much from your story and from your expertise. Um, and how, and grateful for your ability to connect all of these pieces to your profession and to your passion. Uh, I think that the idea of the tension and the trauma that we hold in our pelvic floor and how that connects to our sexuality and into our view of ourselves is a huge missing piece for so many of us that have bodies that have, um, are, have and are working through um, trauma brought about by purity culture and through puritanical nonsense. Um, so I'm grateful for your work. For those of you who are interested in following and supporting Sarah's work, please find her at, on Instagram at Deconstructing Purity Culture. And also, listeners, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you found this podcast. The work that I do here, I feel, is really important because all I do is provide the platform for people to share their stories, their body stories, their host stories. And for those who are listening, it just normalizes the human experience. And I think that's super important for all of us. If you, dear, are interested in sharing your story, come chat with me. Inbox me. Find me on the Instagram. Uh, I'm not looking for people with salacious details or people that have huge Instagram followings or people who have gone through insane things in their lives. I'm just looking for people with bodies that have a story and a few opinions. So your story is welcome on my page and on the podcast airwaves on Holy Coitus. Find me, my work, past people with um, stories at Holy Coitus on Instagram and the internet. Uh, That is Holy Coitus, H-E-A-U-X-L-Y-C-O-I-T-U-S. Also, do me a favor and share this podcast with other people. Let folks know the work that I do because I do this for y'all. It's important. Um, And just a few reminders for you all. Be kind to yourself. Drink water. Have as many or as few orgasms as you want this week. And also tell people no. If it's something that you do not truly want to do that is not helpful for you, tell them, no, I'm not doing that. And don't think twice about it. All right, y'all. Until next time. Bye-bye.